Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Mega Trends, presented by SAP, helping the world run better and improve people's lives. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges and to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. I've got the D with me. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because you already know this is where the best run, and that's where we want you to be for the next hour. Interesting topic today. I usually open with a very serious business quote about the topic to get us started, but one of my panelists was toying with the idea of sending me a quote for the quote part of the show from a comedian. I love the quote so much, I took it for the opening. So those of you who remember the very deadpan, straight-faced Stephen Wright, whose jokes are very often one-liners that just make you think and then you laugh, here's the one I'm using from Stephen Wright today. I saw a bank that said 24-hour banking, but I don't have that much time. I'm sorry, you just got to laugh. There's one key word in there, bank, banking. That's what we're going to be talking about today, sort of. So the mega trend of future finance is seeing new players inside and outside the traditional financial services industry. What in the world are they doing? Well, they're being creative. They're being innovative. They're being proactive. They're being fresh and new. And they're upsetting things and systems and people and traditional players. What are they doing? They're offering new, innovative digital services. And they're opening new markets to legacy banks and insurers. Those are the ones who've been around a long time. As well as non-banks and non-insurers. You've heard us say many times on Game Changers Radio, industry lines are blurring. They certainly are in the finance field. So we are looking at the future here, and the writing is on the wall for traditional providers. Those are the banks. Those are the insurers. Been around a long time doing things possibly same old, same old. What do they need to do? Well, they need to wake up, they need to be on the alert, and they need to do some serious changing. They need to adapt their business models to the new digital economy. It's here, for goodness sake. You can't ignore it. Excuse me. And they need to embrace new technologies. Why? Customers want things now. They want them easy to use. They want them well-designed. They want them to suit their particular lifestyles. In order for these providers to stay relevant, they need to meet the customer's expectations, which are just zooming into the future, and you can't ignore that either. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. I am Bonnie D. Graham. I have three experts here. Let me just tell you their names and their companies. We're going to have them introduce themselves so you can hear in their own voices who they are and why this topic is important to them. In just a moment, we'll be meeting Mike Basque. He spells his last name the French way, B-A-S-Q-U-E. We'll find out about that. He's with Atom. ATOM Digital Network. Joining him is Jerry Silva from IDC Financial Insights. Jerry was a guest on Game Changers with me about three and a half years ago, long time. And another newcomer like Mike, we have Olaf Schoenfelder from SAP. So thank you to my three guests for joining me. And let's go around the table to Mike Bask. Mike, please introduce yourself just briefly and tell us who you are, what Atom Digital Network is, and what this topic means to you. Go ahead, Mike. Sure, thanks. Um, yeah, so I am the Chief Technology Officer of the Atom Digital Network. Uh, it's a part of Elsco Limited, uh, and we focus on an insurance underwriting platform for specialty risks. So these are things like uh, the space, energy, and, and aviation risks that are uh, very complex 
very specialized and where um, where the customers know a lot more about their business than, than the insurers do. Um, I've been a software developer working in insurance uh, technology startups uh, my whole career before the insure tech or fintech term was coined. Um, just prior to this, I was uh, at SAP as well, so uh, working around the world talking about end-to-end insurance. Um, and I think this is important to me because um, you're right, the world is, is changing in terms of how much data we have, how much uh, regulation is out there, how customers are acting, um, and um, insurance companies have, have to shift. I don't think it's necessarily uh, the end of the world for them, but they have to change and they have to adapt. Thank you very much. That was very interesting. You dropped that in there. You don't think it's the end of the world for them. We'll be talking about that during the conversation. Thank you, Mike. I, I love those little drop-in commentaries that we want to remember them as we converse during the show. Welcome to the show, and we appreciate you. Jerry Silva is up next. Jerry, I looked back through the records, and I think it was middle of 2016 you were last on with me a couple times that year. So, Jerry, please bring us up to date. What have you been up to and what's yeah, going on that, with IDC? Go ahead, Jerry. That was a one. That was a while ago, wasn't it? A little <laughs> <And> bit. <laughs> I'm not sure if I introduced myself the same way, but I've, I've been calling myself a recovering banker of 35 years. Um, <laughs> I've been involved in technology and financial services for all of that time, but after this much time, I think I've become cynical in my old age. <clears throat> so now I look at technology and I wrap it in the, uh, in the blanket of reality. So I, I focus at IDC on how do you make technology work um, in sense, um, not in a kind of innovation for no value kind of way. Um, except for one, I, I recently I've been working on quantum computing and how that could possibly change the world of finance, even more so than, than the discussions around blockchain and 5G combined. Hmm. Uh, my background, as I said, is in technology and financial services. I've run IT and operations shops for financial institutions. I've run product strategy for software companies. And I've been consulting an advisory service oh gosh, for probably 15 years or so. Uh, and at IDC Financial Insights, I, I take all that knowledge, all of that wisdom, if you will, and I try to help institutions find practical ways of, of using technology. Um, and by the way, I think this is probably one of the most exciting times I've, I've seen in my professional career uh, in terms of the opportunities for technology to help out the entire industry. Thank you, Jerry. Always a pleasure to speak with you, and welcome back. I think uh, Bridget Dolney at SAP found you for the show, and and I was uh, pleasantly surprised to know that you were coming back with me on the radio. Mm-hmm. So thank you very Great much to for be joining. Back. Thank you. We appreciate it. And now let's go to our other newcomer, Olaf Schoenfelder at SAP. Olaf, please introduce yourself. Tell everybody what you do, and what does this topic mean to you? Thanks, Bonnie, for handing over. So I'm in part of the industry business unit that looks after the insurance solutions SAP is offering in the insurance industry. And in particular here, I'm looking after bringing all the modules together to an end-to-end solution to address those challenges the insurance companies have right now. So as we see this in other industries, also in insurance, the companies face a different type of customers. They are changing. They have a different expectation how to be served, what products they should receive from an insurance company. And in my role, I have the chance to meet a lot of insurance carriers and learn about their pain points and what um, their strategy is driving. 
And in this role, I have the chance then to go back and work together with my colleagues on the development side to make sure what is going out there in, in the world that's being brought back into the right decision, investments decision, SAP. So quite interesting to play between the different units and see a lot what's going out there. Thanks. Thank you very much. Nice to have you on the show as well. Now is the part of the show when I take the quotes my guests have sent me. I'll read them briefly with a little bit of background information on the source of the quote we called out the attribution and then ask each guest to relate the quote they picked to the topic. And Jerry, I think you were the one who was toying with the idea of the Stephen Wright quote. Am I right, Jerry Silva? Uh, yeah, that's because three years ago, I think the uh, my quote lost out to, to that Stephen Wright quote. So I was, I was feeling a little, um, I guess, full of revenge, and I wanted to use that. But, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to give it to you, Bonnie. I stole it to, from you. Thank you very much. Well, I'm always looking for for something edgy and interesting for the opening of the show. So, Jerry, I have to attribute that to you. So, Mike Bask, you're up first. Mike has sent us just simply a Japanese proverb. I didn't find anything more about it, but listen up. It's interesting. There's a couple of words in here that are going to catch your attention, our listeners around the world. The quote is, knowledge without wisdom is a load of books on the back of an ass. I hope I said that poetically enough. Mike, how did you find this quote? That's what we want to know. What does it mean? Uh, Honestly, I don't know how I found it. I I heard it a while ago, and and, uh, when you were looking for the quote, I I found it again. Um, And and essentially what it means is, I mean, there's a lot of information out there, and people go about trying to learn, trying to find out things, um, but without experience, without understanding what that information means, it, it's essentially useless. And, and I think that's, that's true with, with our, our banks and our insurance carriers these days. There's so much data out there um, that the problem really is, and what they're trying to figure out is, is how to use that. How do I know with all this information what that really means to the risk, what that really means to my ability to, to sell more and sell better? Um, so I think it's just it's an interesting um, thought that, you know, you need, to, you need to look at what you know and, and understand what you know and, and uh, apply experience to that knowledge to really get value. Thank you very much. I like that. It's provocative. It's a, an old-fashioned way of looking at things, but it certainly still applies. I just did a show, Mike, uh, about an hour ago on experience management. We talked about X, experience, and O, operational data, and knowing what to do with that data, the fine line of squishy data and useful data, actionable insights, and all of that. So knowledge, data, but wisdom certainly is part of that. And I thank you for the quote. Pleasure to have you on with us. Jerry Silva has... Well, we talked about where his quote was going to come from, and I said, Jerry, it's the 20th anniversary of the movie The Matrix, (laughs) the 1999 sci-fi film. And he said, oh, I have a quote. We'll do this one. So anybody who doesn't know, uh, this is a quote from Spoon Boy, a a rather minor part in the movie, played by Rowan Witt, W-I-T-T. He played the Oracle's metal-melting prodigy Spoon Boy, who teaches Neo to realize, and now let me read the quote, dot, dot, dot. Here we go. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. Oh, Jerry, this is so profound. I'm getting goosebumps. Talk to me. <laughs> How does this relate to our topic today? Go ahead. You're up. <laughs> well, it's, it's a great Zen moment in the movie. I do love the movie. 
Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, so when you said the matrix, the first thing that that's, that was really the first idea I had. And to me, it connected kind of in a heavy-handed way, believe it or not, once I've done explaining. Um, when we talk about digital transformation and financial services, whether it's banking, insurance, or capital markets, the one notion that everyone has in their minds is that it's about technology. And we've been making the point that it's not about technology. Transformation is absolutely not about technology. Technology supports it, certainly. But the success stories that we've seen of institutions who have been able to transform, it's about their willingness to let go of preconceived notions. It's their willingness to change the organization, the culture, the leadership, uh, and commit to transformation instead of looking at technology as being the end all. Uh, which is why, you know, when you mentioned the matrix, I said the perfect analogy, if you will, to that, to that, um, that success factor, changing yourself, not, not expecting that the technology itself is going to lead to anything fundamentally different. Thank you. It's very profound, Jerry. <laughs> That's why we talk about these things in advance. We like profound quotes. And speaking of profound quotes, we have one. Olaf has found a quote, and he wasn't sure where it came from. And Olaf, I did my usual extensive look up online, and I'm just going to attribute I'll read the quote in a second. Attribute it to a young lady named Miasha, M-I-A-S-H-A. I'll just read a little bit of what I found here. She arrived on the literary scene in 2006 with her debut novel, Secret Society, to raving reviews in an array of national press, coined a writer to watch by Publishers Weekly. And she's had a book called Chaser, Until Death, and Never Enough, and she's just putting out back-to-back bestsellers. So we're just going to say that she used this phrase somewhere, Olaf. I needed an attribution. Here's the quote, everybody. Listen up. This is a pretty one. Don't dream your life. Live your dreams. Olaf, tell me how this relates to our topic today. I like the quote. Bonnie, I'm extremely impressed with your research, so I didn't know where it came from, but now I learned something excellent. Yeah, the first time I came across that quote was in a friend's house. It was written at the wall, very uh, explanated, and I thought, that is great. And later we found a frame with exactly that quote, and we put it in our house. And I think it's kind of, you know, the motto we follow and where I believe it's it's good to have dreams, but it's even more important to see how you can, you know, turn your dream in reality. And that I think is, is for both sides, for your private life, but even, even also for the business side. I mean, you can discuss and spend a lot of time on things, how to change your way of working or the proposal to, to the business partners you're working with, how they, how they can do their business. And if you only spend time on that dreaming, then never will, ne- nothing will happen. But if you actually do the first step into the direction, actually you can, you can change that and you can make a dream reality. And like, like Jerry said, it's, it's, a, it's a question of the mindset and of the thinking and of just basically doing it, making a vision into, into reality. And, and do you think, Olaf, when somebody came up with the idea of marrying technology to the insurance industry, marrying technology to the finance industry, and coming up with these terms, fintech, insuretech, do you think that was a dream of somebody that they said, we're just going to make a new word, we're just going to put it together, we're going to make people listen up, look up, and say, ah, now there's something we dreamed of, and now it's a reality. Could we, we take that poetry that far in that direction, Olaf? I, I think so, because um, we, you know, as, as consumers, we experience a lot in other industries. And if you then jump into 
banks, banking and, and insurance, uh, we often experience a totally different world. And I'm sure, um, you know, taking technology as an enabler, you can offer your customers a totally different way of experiencing your service and, and your products and combining things that haven't been combined before and with technology, you can, you can make a dream and turn it into reality. So technology is definitely the enabler to do that. And we, we luckily, we live in a time where a lot of changes are in technology, a lot of innovation, innovations coming in. And we see so many, so many startups and companies that come up with those uh, great ideas People had dreams before, and now you see it in reality. It's almost each day that you experience something new, and you're like, oh, I didn't know that this is working, and wow, you look at this, and yeah, why not? Everything, all the ingredients are now there, and you can, can do the business in a totally different way if it's banking or insurance. Thank you very much. Good insights there. I have to do a shout-out to Karsten Fiolka at SAP, who has been instrumental in putting this panel together and getting everybody's information to me. Karsten, I know you're excited about the show. I know you're listening, and we've been tweeting for a while, you and me both, and I just want to say appreciation to you. Now we have a little bit of up-close and personal with our guests before we take a break. We're really running efficiently on time today. Mike Bask, a couple of questions for you. Nothing too personal. Number one, where in the world are you today? Because our listeners are around the world and they love to know where we are. And number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you or relaxes you or just makes you feel good about what you do and makes you a happier person? So, Mike, you're up first. All right. So I am in a little town called uh, Brooklyn. Not the uh, <laughs> not the big one in New York, but uh, about 45 minutes outside of uh, Toronto. Okay. Um, so I... I tend to work out of my home office here, so this is where I am. And what's my favorite drink? Um, my, my favorite drink changes on the time of the day. So uh, what I drink the most, honestly, is probably straight, boring black coffee because it, it gets me going in the morning and, and uh, keeps me going through the day um, and potentially through some, some late nights. Um, any other time... You know, whatever strikes my mood or whatever makes sense is, is something I'll try. Very interesting. I have to ask you, how do you spell Brooklyn? B R O O K L I N. Ah, see, I'm a New Yorker, so ours has a Y in it, L Y N, like part yeah. of the girl's name, Lynn. So when you said Brooklyn and you said a little town, I started to laugh because I know Brooklyn, and there's nothing about a little town about Brooklyn, New York. Thank you nope. very much. I had a guest on on one of my radio shows yesterday from Toronto, and he pronounced it Toronto. He got rid of that first O. Is that the official pronunciation, Mike Toronto? Uh, the first O is kind of gone, and the last. Is kind of gone, so it's Toronto. Toronto, okay. <laughs> sounds like sounds like a sci-fi movie. Mike Bask starring in Toronto in a little town called Brooklyn with an eye. I'm sorry, my my move my movie brain is on today. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to know you, Jerry Silva. Where in the world are you today, and what do you love to drink? Well, Mike is going to love this one. Uh, I am I'm actually in my office just outside Boston. Uh, mm-hmm. which is strange because this is usually a very busy travel period for me. Uh, I, I just come back from India about two weeks ago. Last week, my first three days were spent in Toronto, 
<laughs> between Toronto, Mississauga, and Burlington, that whole stretch there. Um, and what I'm currently drinking is exactly what I drank, I think, three and a half years ago, Bonnie. That's my, my favorite cup of uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and last week when I was in Toronto, I was searching in vain for a Dunkin' Donuts. Even though I was raised in Chicago, I've become a real New Englander, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, only to be told that, that Duncan left the entire Canadian market about a year and a half ago. <laughs> so I, I had to settle for Tim Hortons, of okay. all things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much for, for us and our coffees, right? Thank you very much, Jerry, and, and welcome to wherever you're staying. Olaf, I think you're not in the U.S. or Canada today. I think I'm right. Tell us where exactly you are and what do you love to drink, Olaf? Absolutely right. So I'm in Germany and in a very little town called uh, Waldorf, which is SAP's headquarters. So I'm still in the office. As I said, it's, it's a very small town. It wouldn't be very important. Uh, only 16,000 inhabitants, so it's not really big, but a huge company. So maybe uh, 10,000 here in, in this little city. Uh, looking out of the window, I'm happy to see that the rain stopped because I came in with a bicycle, so wouldn't be a big pleasure to go back <laughs> through the rain. So luckily it had turned. Yeah, this time of the year, looking at the drinks, this time of the year, I love the smoothies, especially having a small garden with a couple of fruits like, you know, putting in peaches and pears and mm. berries like blackberries or strawberries. And I also found today still a few red currants. So that makes a, a very special drink, with, which I love a lot. Lovely. What do you put in the smoothie? Does it have a milk base or water or ice cubes or fruit juice, Olaf? It's, I'd love a quick recipe. Exactly. So I had the pleasure to live three years out in Chicago Mm-hmm. And by that, enjoyed the American free, uh, refrigerators that are not not usually in Germany. So I got one where you can get yourself um, the ice cubes right out of the refrigerator. So my smoothies are always uh, based on ice cubes. Thank you very much. I have one of those refrigerators. I have a refrigerator that's so much fun. Sometimes I open it and just look inside. It's got so many little compartments and shelves and things that pull out and go back in, depending on whether you need it for tall things or short things and little kind of cubbies and corners. Anyway, I love my refrigerator. It's it's really very enjoyable to use it and to look at it. I make a smoothie almost every morning, Olaf, and I use 1% milk, about 6 to 8 ounces. I use, I cheat and have a little bit of vanilla ice cream, about a table spoon of agave syrup, the the light-colored blue agave, and I put in a half or a whole banana, and sometimes if I have strawberries, I add those. If not, I'll take a little bit of unsweetened cocoa and just put a little powder in there, and then I blend that, and I have a... Uh, one of those new straws. It's not plastic. It's not paper. It's the uh, silicone straws. It's kind of creepy to use, but you get used to it after a while. So it's one of those permanent straws you don't have to throw out and gunk up the ocean. So I'm being ecologically savvy. So today I'm in Durham, North Carolina, gentlemen. I'm here the past almost two years, moved here from New York. The Brooklyn with the Y, Mike Basque, was in one of the boroughs of Queens. I was in Long Island in a place called Great Neck on the North Shore of Long Island, also known as the Gold coast and uh today is a very special day because it's two almost back-to-back live sap game chain 
strangers radio show, so I'm not allowed to have anything stronger than water while I'm on the air. They don't let me near caffeine. Jerry knows why. <laughs> Mike knows why, and Olaf figured it out. So there you go. I have enough energy. We don't need the caffeine boost. We are talking today about future finance. This is Game Changing Megatrends Radio. I have to do a shout-out also to Tom Conan, who is one of the sponsors of this series. I'm not sure where you are in the world today, Tom, but we enjoy your series very much. Always great topics. And again, Karsten Fialco is doing a wonderful job of keeping us on track and getting all the information to me I needed from my guests. So we're talking about future finance, fintech, insurtech. We have so much more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think, don't even think for a second about touching that mouse, that app, that dial, however you're listening to us. We'll be right back with a lot more from Mike Bask at Atom Digital Network, Jerry Silva at IDC Financial Insights, and Olaf Schoenfelder at SAP. Aaron, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. How do we feed 10 billion people? How can we design a circular and sustainable economy? How will mobility evolve? How can we enjoy lifelong health? These are some of the big questions of today. The world's political, social, and economic leaders, and every single one of us, need to find new ways to create a sustainable and livable planet. Game-changing Megatrends brings you insights from the thought leaders who are working to making this happen. We'll delve into global challenges from health to education, energy, and mobility, and learn how technology can help address these megatrends to create a better world and new business opportunities. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Game Changing Megatrends, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Megatrends. We certainly are back. We've got a nice tweet here from Karsten Fiolka, who is tweeting at, uh, he's using hashtag SAP Radio. He's thanking me, says thanks to our very motivative motivating and inspiring moderator at Radio Red 77. Thank you, Carson. Appreciate it. We love your panel. Great topic today. So moving along here, we're talking future finance, fintech, tech. We have Mike Bask at the Atom Digital Network, Jerry Silva at IDC Financial Insights, and Olaf Schoenfelder at SAP. Let's get the formal roundtable started here. And I'm looking at some notes first that Mike Bask sent me. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm going to ask Mike to expand, elaborate, pontificate, however you want to do it, Mike, and then we're going to invite Jerry Silva to chime in with his agree or disagree, and then we'll get Olaf Schoenfelder as well. So here's what Mike told me before the show. He says, sentiment analysis, we haven't talked about that yet, sentiment analysis is being used to improve customer experience and to sell quality that's AAA Three Diamond Award. But we could also use it to evaluate risk. Need you to unpack this for me, please. Mike Bask, you're up. Sure. So, I mean, 
obviously experience uh, the experience economy is is uh, alive and well now. Um, but we've been seeing um, sentiment analysis uh, in a variety of places. Um, so, for example, right, if well, let's take a topical example right now, and, and not to throw someone under the bus, but uh, the whole Boeing uh, Max Eight issue. Um, you know that hit um, not only obviously Boeing and a number of carriers, but the um, or a number of, of airlines, but also the carriers behind that. As there's been um, uh, even beyond obviously the, um, the the payouts on the unfortunate accident, but there's been a lot of business interruptions as those fleets still aren't up in the air. Um, but prior to that, how would we have evaluated that risk? Um, by all intents, those planes were based on an existing platform. They're um, better, more fuel efficient. Um, but we've found out that in a variety of forums and so on, that a lot of the pilots have had actually been complaining about those planes. They've been talking about their propensity to um, pull up or being a little harder to control. Um, you know, we can know if... Um, employee sentiment is, is low at a company and that there's a potential strike or, or so on. So one of the things that uh, we're looking at doing is, is how do we get at that information, that data, where we know how the users uh, or operators of, of something, um, how they feel about it, and if we can use that to evaluate um, the potential risk or potential improvement um, in a particular company. Thank you very much. Interesting. Jerry Silva, agree or disagree? Sentiment analysis on the table here. No, no, totally agree. Sentiment analysis is very important, but, but I would say it's half the, half the battle. Uh, we, do, we do a lot of surveys here at IEC, and one of the dangers is always you know, anything that's self-reported. And here I guess I'm kind of assuming that sentiment analysis has to do with actively going out to your customer base, whether it's pilots or bank customers or insurance customers, and, and asking them, so how's it going? Uh, more often than not, it tends to be more positive, particularly with, with regard to customer sentiment, than it really is. So I think it's important, but I think you need to add behavior to that as well. So, you know, the customers are saying something or the pilots are saying something, the consumers are saying something, but does it match what their behavior is? And I, I know certainly in banking, uh, for a long time, the industry has kept track of behaviors that may or may not indicate attrition. You know, is the customer starting to move balances from one account to an external account? Is something else happening? Is their use of their debit card declining month after month? Those are little kind kind of hints that something else is going on. Uh, So totally agree with Mike. Sentiment analysis is important, but I think you need to add that behavioral analysis at the same time. Interesting point of view. Thank you. Olaf Schoenfelder, join us, and then, Mike, I'll come back to you, and you can talk back to Jerry if you want to. Olaf, what do you think? Absolutely agree with both. So the sentiment analysis helps not only in the examples, for example, around the Boeing example that um, Mike mentioned, um, but also around keeping their customers, as Jay said. Maybe let me add another flavor to that and look Mm -hmm. at what insurance companies started to do, especially when it comes to looking at behavior or looking at uh, the usage of certain aspects. So we have seen already a long time with insurance companies um, are um, providing uh, usage space or you know pay as you drive policies, for example for the for the newcomers, the new drivers on the street on the road. So with the technology and the data that are available, 
you can easily provide uh, those drivers feedback where they're doing good or maybe where they have situations with hard braking or hard accelerations. And insurance companies now use that in order to turn this in actual products, not only for the driving side, but, you know, there's a lot of bus around uh, smart homes where your home is equipped with a lot of sensors and that sensors gives you information. Also relevant for insurance cares to see maybe there's a situation where the risk is increasing and based on the information uh, as an insurer, you can be the partner of your customers and return messages to check uh, maybe your pipes, your water leakage, things like that. And by that, you know, help you to avoid any bigger risk in that. So I think looking at the data, making uh, usage of the data in, you know, keeping your customers, but also maybe all the way going to develop new products on the banking or insurance side. Thank you very much. Mike Bask, around the table to you. You've had some good comments from your colleagues on the panel. What do you think? Yeah, actually, Jerry, couldn't agree more with what, what you said. I think it's, it's really a combination of, you know, the sentiments, what you say when asked, um, kind of what I was getting at, what you say when, when not asked, what you say behind the scenes, and how you behave um, combined is what, what we really need to look at to evaluate risk and, and change behavior. So couldn't agree more. And, and Olaf, again, that, that information that comes through other means, um, also I think being used to, to varying degrees and, and definitely increasing. Thank you very much, Mike. Jerry, I'm looking around the, your notes here, and I want to get down to some really basic, talking about sentiment analysis. I'm going to read one statement. We don't have to stick with this one, Jerry, but I thought it was too good to pass up. So Jerry told me the sure. following before the show. He said, I've heard way too many banks say that they're, quote, technology companies that do banking. And Jerry says, I'm quoting Jerry Silva, call me old-fashioned, but I'd rather my money be kept at an institution that thinks and acts like a bank that happens to use technology to keep my money safe and allows me to interact with all of the financial aspects of my life. So I guess we could turn this into a discussion, Jerry, of is fintech going too far? So so let's let's stay with this one a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm chomping at the bit here. So I, I actually have to take uh, have to take uh, take you up on a, on a statement you made earlier, Bonnie, where you talked about fintech being a brand new term, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's not the case technically. I'd rather call it fintech 2.0 because IDC has oh. been tracking for the last 15 years. We've had this program called the fintech rankings, where we look at the largest financial technology companies in the world, and this goes back to 2003, way before the fintech. It, the way you're calling mm-hmm. it, the fintech phenomenon of 2010 or so. Okay. Um, so fintech has existed for a long, long time. If you think about it, even in your own, with your own mission, PayPal is probably one of the biggest fintech firms out there, right? A non-traditional bank that started offering payments. Um, so let's let's start let's start with that. Fintech has been around for a long, long time, and banks have always kind of used that as the supporting mechanism. To keep your money safe, and this is the fundamental principles, keep your money safe and allow you to use that money in any kind of payment scenario or retirement or something like that. That's their core competency. So when I see ads or, or commercials from folks like Capital One or J.P. Morgan Chase calling themselves technology companies, it makes me cringe mm-hmm. because it takes them out of that space of my fundamental value proposition. First and foremost is to keep your money safe. And then secondly, to 
to allow you to use, use that money for whatever purpose you need, whether it's buying a computer at Best Buy or making sure you have enough money to retire on or funding your, your kids' uh, college funds. I mean, those are basic banking tenants. And from that perspective, it really hasn't changed other than the number of places you can use it and the methods you use, whether it's mobile banking, you know, electronic wallets, whatever it is. So I do kind of, I think it's wrong to call yourself a technology company because then it makes me think of the smaller fintechs, the little startups who frankly have failed or have left people you know, out in a lurch, look at Lending Tree and the problems they've, they've had, which is why, again, maybe it's just the, you know, the length of time I've been in banking or just my age at this point. But I, I, I really do cringe when I hear institutions talk about themselves in those terms. Thank you. That was a cringeworthy comment. I appreciate it. I'm tweeting it. Let's go around the table and see what our other panelists have to say, either about Fintech 2.0, 2.0, I like that a lot, Jerry, or, and or the concept of a tech company that does banking inside and out. Olaf, what do you think? So I think the whole fintech topic is quite interesting to follow. And if I may add my insurance view to that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first fintech companies really addressed the missing customer service in the insurance industry and proposed new ways on much easier onboard and purchase an insurance product. Um, Given the cumbersome process, you know, you normally have with an insurance agent, and instead of that, you're looking at um, apps on the smartphone or using the internet in a totally different way. So those have been the first couple of fintech companies in the insurance side, followed by others that um, even propose totally new products, what you haven't seen. So there was, or there is one fintech company called Drove in the UK, T-R-O-V. And what they do is they basically help to offer insurance products that are only valid based on your usage. So, you know, you want to, for example, um, insure your camera or your bike, bicycle, which is very high value, and you only insure it for the period of time you're using that. So maybe you take your camera to a week of vacation and you only need coverage for that period of time. So quite interesting to see that fintech companies also move into the product side of the insurance business. And then thirdly, what is also interesting to see that insurance companies itself try to reinvent and even found new legal entities uh, with young employees, even in a different office building to motivate them to think like a fintech. So one great example for that might be AXA in Switzerland. they found out that they, you know, they have quite some competencies managing a carpool, and they said, you know, why can't we, why can't we give this as an offering to our customers? So what they did, they found a company called Uptu, and Uptu offers a subscription, a car subscription to their customers, which is actually quite far away from insurance. Of course, in that offering, you have the insurance element as well, but then it's about registration of the car tax and tolls and repairs and services, winter and summer ties and all that. And by that not being recognized as as an insurance company running that business. Quite interesting, I think. 
Very interesting, and I appreciate the introduction to these two companies I haven't heard of. I looked up Trove, it's T-R-O-V, with a long line over the top of the O, the world leader in insurance technology. Let, let me just read a drop here, Ola, from their website. I think this is interesting. And they're showing a picture of uh, mostly women on little motorbikes and people in cars, and they're showing uh, the analytics of what's happening while they're driving. Anyway, it says Trove powers digital insurance solutions for innovative businesses in the finance, insurance, mobility, and retail sectors enabling the new ways people live, work, and move. Yes, that's the one you were talking about? Absolutely. Yep. Very interesting. Thank you for introducing that. Let's, uh, let's see, we were talking, uh, let's go to Mike Basque. Mike, chime in on this one, please. Um, sure, yeah. First of all, um, Gary, couldn't agree with you more that I'd rather deal with, with a company that knows how to protect my money um, rather than one of these insurance companies. And I got ties back to my comments at, at the beginning where I don't think it is the end of the world for these carriers. Um, a lot of the uh, fintech platforms definitely have a place in the world, but I think a lot of the big companies are watching, right? So banking has changed, insurance has changed, and a, a lot of it is being driven by uh, what the fintechs are, are providing. So PayPal, as an example, is, is a great one. I use PayPal, but behind PayPal is my credit card that's tied to my traditional bank. And we've got verified by Visa now, which does, um, you know, a lot of the similar type type of things. From the insurance standpoint, again, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the exact same thing. And, you know, with, with telematics, um, as you were talking about, well, it's, it, it's great and it's offering new ways of providing insurance um, in a lot of areas. Um, and at, even with, with Trove, that is still underwritten by a traditional insurance carrier. So it's not really that we're changing how these insurance carriers work. We're changing the distribution mechanism, and we're using a, a great new piece of technology to be able to offer what's always been offered, which is protection on, on your risk. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Uh, Jerry, any comments you want to give back to the other two panelists? Uh, you started yes, something yes, very I, provocative. I, did, I didn't. I didn't mean to downplay the, the role of fintech 2.0, if you will. Um, certainly, they've shown they've shown institutions, whether it's an insurance company or bank, how to do things, the new markets they can get into, the new products that they can possibly provide. And it's not the institution's fault that they can't keep up at this point. You know, they've got legacy systems, they've got legacy organizations, they can't move as fast. Um, but it points to something that I've actually coined a term, and uh, you guys can use this term if you like, but you have to pay me a quarter every time you use it. <laughs> we, when we were looking. When we were looking at fintechs, we said when they first came out, they were considered as poachers. And so all the, all the insurance companies, the banks thought that they were going to steal their customers. Turned out not to be the case. And right now we're in this period where they're partners. And so we see legacy traditional kinds of institutions partnering with these fintechs to provide distribution channels or, or products or something else. We think going forward, they're going to become platforms and offer their services, offer their part, their products as a service to any institution that wants to consume. So, again, the term is poacher part platform. We think that's the evolution, ultimately, of, of where the fintech market's going. It's funny. A couple of years ago, J- uh, Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase uh, had a quote. It was a famous quote in Wall Street Journal that said, I've been to Silicon Valley. They're all coming after us and want to eat our lunch, and a lot of them will succeed. A year and a half later, he came out with another quote that said, you know, everyone says millennials don't like banks until they get their first paycheck direct deposited, and then they love J.P. Morgan Chase. And I, I love that quote because it really shows you how quickly that entire market's kind of turned around. 
It does. Jerry, tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock here on the Business Channel on a different show, my new series called Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. I'm going to be speaking with four young millennial women, and I say young because millennials are now in their mid-30s, and some people might not think that's that young. I do. Anyway, talking about uh, femtech and the rise of millennials who are using technology, harnessing social media to build their customer base, and what are they doing, and what do, example, what does the the fintech industry do to support them as their businesses grow. One of the women started a company called Her First 100K. So I, it just when you said that, it right. just sparked up. Yes, so that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. Good topic. We have time for squeaking in one more here. Olaf, I'm looking at your notes and you said something equally provocative here. You say the traditional insurance business model is in question. And I mentioned that in my opening. You say as a result of industry changes, Insurance carriers will have to decide to become either a customer experience focused omnichannel player or a modular producer or an ecosystem orchestrator. Can you tell me what all that means, please, Olaf? <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do so. Uh, I think this fits quite well to Jerry's last comment. So if we look at um, if we look at the fintech companies and how they now partner to help insurance carriers to provide a much much better customer experience, this is one wave of investments um, I see in insurance that companies really um, put in a lot of money to serve their customers not only through the traditional sales channels with the sales agents, but give them a totally different experience, of course, through the web, through mobile apps, through um, loyalty programs to you know, increase the customer satisfaction, things like that. So those are what I call the omnichannel players who really put the customer in focus and try to serve them in the best possible way. Then there are the others that understand that industry barriers and industry borders are breaking down and that um, that industry conversion is happening by putting together products that not only consist of insurance elements but also services and products from other industries in order to serve um, those offerings, their insurance, there will be insurance companies, more of those that provide their product, their insurance product as part of a much, much bigger offering to customers. Traditionally, we already know this. When you go, go to a car dealer, then of course you get the, the car, but you can also get the financing side and the insurance side. So, so somebody is providing the insurance offering in the background. So those are what I call the module producers. And then we see those like, like the AXA I mentioned before that are orchestrating such an ecosystem to bring together partners to provide such a much more holistic um, offering to insurance companies. And that, that doesn't only consist of the insurance offering, but maybe also of a banking offering, maybe taking care of the logistics, what we see with Discovery in South Africa. They combine insurance banking they created this loyalty program, Vitality, to motivate their customer to live healthier. They give them an Apple Watch uh, to track their steps and, and do competitions between customers. So it's quite interesting to see how such a business model really goes beyond insurance borders and involve other industries as well. Thank you very much. You're taking us just about up to the edge of our crystal ball predictions round, but I'd love to get just 30 seconds from Mike and Jerry on what Olaf proposed here. Mike, agree or disagree with Olaf? 
Yeah, I think I agree to, to some extent. Um, I think traditional insurance will um, and traditional banks will still be there. They may just sit um, behind the new experience of of uh, bundling and game theory and um, managing risk and health that, that Olaf is talking about. So uh, it, it, I, I tend to agree. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of things like that and in, in embedded insurance changing how the business model works, but not necessarily the core behind what they're offering. Thank you. Jerry Silva, 30 seconds. Well, just yeah, I can give you a minute to respond to uh, what Olaf said, and then, Mike, please get ready because we're going to give you your 60-second prediction right after Jerry speaks. Jerry, go ahead. No, I, I love Olaf's uh, prediction because we're, we're all about the ecosystem right now. Um, we've been talking about a concept called the street. How do you follow a consumer when they visit uh, you know, a downtown area or a shopping district? And what are all the services that they need, transparent, you know, seamless services? When they park, you know, how do they pay for the parking meter? Are they in a parking garage? Uh, from an insurance perspective, can you use IoT to tell where they are? Are they in a high crime area where lots of cars are stolen or not? Um, how, do you, you know, how do you provide financial services, whether it's insurance, banking, payments, seamlessly in the background. Um, it's a scary thought for the institutions, the traditional institutions, the, one who are, the ones who refuse to change, because in their minds what it means is they become utilities. But I think there's, a, there's an opportunity there to add value without destroying the relationship. But it is going to be a fascinating future when you start talking about large ecosystems like this. It certainly will. I hope that wasn't your prediction because I'm still going to give you 60 seconds. Mike Pask at Adam Digital Network. Go ahead, Mike. Crystal ball time. 60 seconds. That's all I've got for each of you. Divide and conquer. Mr. Bask, go ahead. Um, well, I'd say, and I'm probably stealing from what everyone else has said here, but I think, um, you know, five years from now, let's say, it's all going to be about the platforms and, and the connected ecosystems. So we're still going to have auto insurance, we're still going to have our bank accounts, but it's all going to happen behind the scenes. Um, I'm not going to have 20 questions to answer uh, and so on. I will buy a car, I will get insurance automatically, if I even buy cars then, uh, but I will get insurance, I'll have mm-hmm. options given to mm-hmm. me right there. It's going to come out of my bank account and it's potentially all just going to be right on um, through my phone all without really asking me all the 20, 30, 50 questions I need to ask now. So it's just going to be automated on these platforms um, and embedded in everything I do. Wouldn't it be beautiful? Jerry Silva, 60 seconds. That's all I've got. Go ahead. Well, I wish I could take the same, uh, <laughs> the same topic. I, I do see a future uh, of, of industries where we're not talking about banking or insurance or retail or manufacturing, but actually an experience that blends all of those, all of those industries together into a seamless experience. Um, but, you know, if I have to get down to brass tacks, my five-year prediction would be those institutions that join those kinds of ecosystems will be the only ones that succeed. And so that in five years, organizations that don't get behind that kind of a concept, I think you're going to see the writing on the wall in terms of their long-term uh, longevity. The, the average number of years, the half-life of organizations is going to come down two years where it used to be hundreds of years or decades. And so in five years, I think you're going to start seeing signs of that kind of uh, movement in, in, the, in all of the industries. 
Thank you very much. Olaf Schoenfelder, I saved. Ooh, you can have 90 seconds because they were so brief. Uh, Go ahead, Olaf. It's a gift. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the line with Mike and Jerry. So, you know, I think our kids will experience banking and insurance in a totally different way than we do today. And like Jerry said, we will see banking products, insurance products just being blended in the the driving product. So when I go and buy a car and a house or when I when I do some purchase of a mobile phone or some electronics or whatever, insurance will be just be part of the offering. And by that, I don't have to, t- to talk to an agent or they have to go to a bank and talk t- to the people there. It's just being offered from a different party and they just consume it. So I think this will drive a lot of changes for the business models of banks and insurance carriers. And for the consumer, it will be much, much easier doing business with banks and insurance as it is today. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I have almost an extra, how much do I have here? An extra minute and a half. Well, I'm going to do my closing. But question, uh, do you think we'll come up with something else that would combine fintech and insurtech? Another term, a 2.0, a 3.0? Quickly, do you have any idea on what we might call it uh, by 2025? Will there be a combined a combined uh, hashtag or a meme or an icon or something to combine anything to do with future of finance. Mike Bass, guess you know, what would it be? Real fast, everyone. Uh, I can't predict what the next word is is going to be. Whenever they come up, they they surprise me. I think that's fine. Jerry Silva, you got a word for me? Platformification. Okay, a little general, but I'll take it. Olaf, do you have a, a word that will combine it all? Yeah, maybe that's the technology driving financial services. Don't even split into banking. I, I would probably, I would call it uh, required expense tech, something like that, or uh, wallet drain tech or something like that, or Love it or hate it, you got to insure it, tech. That's what I would call it. I'm sorry. That's what we're going to call it. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Again, a big thank you to Karsten Fiolka at SAP, who has been tweeting, retweeting, loving, liking, everything, listening to the show. Karsten, you really knocked this one out of the park. Thank you for your work getting together, all of our wonderful panelists. And a thank you to Tom Kona, one of the sponsors of the series, and a shout-out to my engineer extraordinaire. He's always there for us, getting us on the air and keeping us here. It's Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio on the Business Channel. We love you, Aaron. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. It might, you know what? There might be seatbelt insurance one of these days, guys. That's a possibility. You might have to insure your seatbelt, right? And have it inspected annually. Nobody inspects the seatbelts in cars. Let's just leave that one on the table for a future episode. So fasten your seatbelt, whatever it looks like, and we hope it's working well. What are you worrying? What are you waiting for? What are you worrying about? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Mike Bask at the Atom Digital Network, just like Jerry Silva at IDC Financial Insights, and just like Olaf Schoenfelder at at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Megatrends, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.